Hello, and welcome to another episode of FortiGuard Live. I'm Derek Menke, and I'm joined once again. I'm so happy to see you. I'm Amar Lakani. How are you doing, Amar? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I think you're always great, and that's a good thing. Same with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's always fun doing this, I find. Uh, I mean, it, it's a serious problem that we track in, in the world of cybercrime, uh, but but it's uh, it, it keeps things interesting. And, um, you know, we, we just released our first half uh, 2021 global threat landscape report. There's a lot of data we got to crunch through on any given minute, right? In 40 guard labs, you know this firsthand. This is data obviously accumulated for the uh, for the full first half of 2021. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I love about these threat reports is it gives us like a good idea, a good pulse on what's happening, especially what's like currently happening. It's it's kind of like the all star break for me, the all star game in the NBA. It kind of shows me what the current standings are. You know where things are about to go and really where to focus my efforts on yeah and it's one thing to talk because as you know we release things like our threat signals and all these different assets which are breaking news you know proactive research but it's really interesting when you start to look at trends and data over a, a six-month period because it also gives us an idea of where we're heading right in, into the last half of the year too and you know uh not surprisingly uh the one of the most concerning and lead stories we had from the threat landscape report was Drum roll, please. Ransomware. We've talked about this problem a lot before, but if we look at the big picture, what's happening with ransomware, there's a lot going on, right? First of all, we we observed year over year, so looking a full year of data, uh, a 10.7%, so over a thousand percent increase, sorry, 10.7 fold uh, increase in ransomware. That's a lot of activity. I know on the last, on the second half of 2020 in our threat landscape report, we saw over a, a seven-fold increase. So the wave was just starting to build in around December Q4 of last year, but it didn't subside. It just kept growing and growing like a snowball effect. And it's 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 a result of more families, more ransom as a service models, and a lot more, unfortunately, high-profile attacks we saw. Yeah, it's it's peak infection, I would say, at this point. I mean, there's uh, there's really no stopping the ball. Uh, it, it seems like it's funny. Like, the last couple of years, every time we've done a threat report, ransomware always seems to be, like, one of the top stories. Um, you know, I, I would think that, hey, something else is going to happen. And I'm always amazed on, like, how much more ransomware is occurring. Um, like, you know, how bigger the payouts are, uh, you know, how, how much more impact it's having in the organizations. And just really the, the, the pain it's causing everyone in every organization organization now. Yeah. And if you look at, uh, you know, I refer to this as sort of the scales of justice, right? If you look at what's happening, if you if you put risk on one side um, and everything else on the other, unfortunately, that risk, right, all the activity and the damage is collateral damage that we're happening. Uh, it just keeps on getting heavier and heavier on that right-hand side. And, and we need to counterbalance that. That ransom as a service model, it's, it's becoming ludicrous, right? If you look at what cyber criminals are paying out for their affiliates and, and, and partners on ransom, it's in excess of 70% as an example. Um, and and that, uh, unfortunately, that ransom as a service model is starting to apply to more and more cyber gangs too now. Yeah, ransom as a service is interesting because it's we've seen it evolve over time as yeah. well. I mean, it, it used to be that uh, ransom as a service, the affiliates used to get paid, you know, like maybe about 20, 30 percent from the threat actors. Now it's almost opposite. The affiliates are getting paid like 70, 80 percent sometimes. And if you think about it, they're doing a lot more of the work. The threat actors have definitely kind of perfected their game in uh, having ransomware that's very effective, that actually propagates very quickly, while uh, the affiliates are very good at initial access. 
um, you know, vertical uh, expansion, getting into organizations, figuring out what other vulnerabilities are out there uh, and exploiting those vulnerabilities and spreading around through domains and third parties and whatever else they need to. So they're taking a lot of, I would say, of the risk and the grunt work while uh, the threat actors are actually perfecting the software. And it's a partnership that seems to be working pretty well from a standpoint that they seem to be happy with each other and uh, paying each other out a, a lot of times, at least. Yeah, and the model keeps evolving too. This is what we saw over the first half. We saw not only the ransom as a service, but I'm talking about the business operations, right? Obviously, we saw um, Conti and now the infamous uh, cookbook, which was released. It's a fascinating uh, uh, you know, view into the world of it's actually hard evidence as to how these people are operating and you know, sort of their modus operandi, uh, their guides, if you will. So they're actually documenting this on their side on the cyber criminals, just shows how organized they are. And then at the same time, you know, uh, they're they're getting more serious about recruiting too. They're actually targeting uh, employees, people inside of organizations, trying to work, uh, trying to work for them aggressively, which is uh, I wouldn't say a brand new tactic, but the way how aggressive they're being in this and, and clever is, I would say. I think it's surprising people on how organized they are. And, you know, we talk about it, but but when you see actual documentation, you mm -hmm. actually see recruiting efforts on how to, how to uh, basically motivate people inside a network to basically, you know, uh, distribute ransomware and how you see their actual operations playbook on, you know what, they're not actually like writing malware. They're not actually just like, trying to just infect you with malware, but they're using like, you know, tools that already exist in your organization. They're using administrative uh, privileges. They're using basically techniques that every organization would probably have to use anyways for any type of administration and actually taking advantage of that, which we know we've talked about them do doing that, but to actually see them play by play, hey, this is how I manage Active Directory and exploit that. This is how I like manage user rights and exploit that. It's kind of interesting and I think very eye-opening for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're referring to, of course, are the traditional living off the land attacks, what we're seeing that now in, in new forms, too. Um, so switching gears, uh, you know, the other thing that we saw, and this is also um, over the first half of 2021, there is a, a, a big trend in um, advertising. So a web-borne traffic, this is the whole theme of the edge, right? Um, threats being pushed more to the edge, that edge being sort of redefined every day it continues to expand in terms of um, you know attacks that are targeting the the work from home work from anywhere environment we've talked about that in the past but we certainly saw it in the landscape report one in four organizations detected web-borne malvertising so things like heavily obfuscated javascript um, even scare tactics right new versions of scareware um, you know not, not not the binaries that are running on systems but um, scare techniques impersonations of uh, you know technical support uh, systems and IT staff as an example too. And we also saw botnets um, as well continue to be pushed out into these environments, um, specifically IoT. Yeah, so the edge is traditionally mean defined as like, uh, you know, that that um, kind of that barrier between your own network, your LAN and the internet access. And that's just faded away, right? We have cloud services, we have mobile services, we have web services. So there is no edge anymore because every everyone's living on the edge. How about that? <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, we're, we're accessing the internet in all sorts of manners, like with IoT devices, with yeah. uh, all these other devices as well. But, but that means that these attacks can 
basically come from anywhere, anytime to us. And they can come in the forms of like web scripts and uh, malwaretizing and pretty much any other way we access the internet. And that's, that's kind of scary. And attackers are definitely taking advantage of that and figuring out like, even if they have one way into your, into your organization, they're once again, they're landing and expanding. They're moving uh, horizontally yeah. throughout the network and saying, even if I can only access you through an IOT device, how can I take that and maybe uh, obtain a more valuable target? Yeah, and and the other thing is the vector, right? Just 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 because a lot of this are is outbound threats, right? So systems that are going to um, you know websites, and unfortunately, we're still seeing those environments that are not uh, segmented or secure the way they should be. And you have a lot of these outbound threats going to these uh, rogue sites, or in some cases, even watering hole, um, you know, sites. Uh, so regular sites that they visit that become infected. Again, easy way to land and expand on these on this, you know. Um, uh, living on the edge as everyone is doing, as you said. The other thing was with botnets too. So, uh, you know, what we saw this year was Mirai. Mirai, of course, was one of the first IoT-based botnets. It's been around for a while. It uh, surged into uh, the number one uh, uh, botnet that we've seen in terms of prevalence for the first half of 2021. So IoT botnets are here to stay. It seems like this is definitely a preferred tactic. And that's Again, I wouldn't say it's a big surprise, but it's the new reality, right? It's it's um, it's Mariah's consistently been growing, uh, but now it exists, um, and this is just another example of living where it can actually live on IoT devices that are sitting in these, uh, you know, uh, in, in these work from home or work from anywhere environments too. Yeah, remember when Mirai first came out, it was infecting, you know, your traditional consumer devices, what I would say consumer devices, uh, that, you, you know, uh, that, that people would be using at home. And uh, a lot of people didn't notice that they were infected with like a botnet like Mirai because they're, they're, they were doing everything correctly, right? But that, that yeah. botnet was basically used as a source to attack other people. I think, uh, uh, you know, Mirai was actually responsible for that giant DNS uh, takedown that took down or appeared to take down a lot of the internet. You know, you know, yeah, a, ago. a while ago, yeah, it, it, yeah. Uh, I think we all remember that, uh, and and that's that's the problem with botnets is that not only does it infect your system, but it, it, it's used as a potential jumping point to infect other systems. The other thing I think we've seen that changed is botnets are now more sophisticated because first of all, the Mirai botnet, the source code had leaked on the internet like years ago, so everyone's taking that source code and and saying like, hey, how can I improve upon that? And that's not from a from a from a good place, right? They're saying, how can I improve upon that to make it more evil, essentially? And yeah. what they've done is with a lot of other botnets is they've used that as a content delivery network. They're basically using the botnet to carry other types of malware, specifically ransomware in a lot of cases, but it can be other types of ran or, you know malware such as rootkits and backdoors and key loggers and whatever else. Yeah, definitely. Not only content delivery, but drop sites too, right? So places they can actually host stolen files and not legally be responsible because they're actually putting the legal responsibility on, on, on the people where they're, you know, dropping these malicious files, uh, you know, malicious files. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is a big issue. And you think about how wide that net is. So first of all, in the botnet activity, what we saw in the threat landscape report was that there's over a 50% jump on just just in the first half in terms of organizations that were detecting botnet activity too um, that that's a, already a big jump and that's going to continue to grow i suspect um, with iot like botnets like mirai and iot driving this the other thing is we always talk about mirai but certainly i expect a lot more of uh you know iot based botnets to 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 come on the radar too we did see that happening with trickbot it was actually using iot devices for command and control and trickbot was interesting because we actually highlighted 
embedded in the landscape report, it came back. So uh, for those of you who might not be aware, or if you can remember uh, in the last half of 2020, in about Q4, there is a takedown attempt on TrickBot. It went offline for a while and we saw it come back in about Q2. Um, it's, you know, when these things come back online, we're starting to see them take different, different forms, right? They basically go back to the drawing board, refactor a bit, come up with another game plan and then uh, come out of the gates again. So it's interesting to see that with, with TrickBot. Yeah, I think that's not surprising. Once again, attackers are always going back to the drawing board, seeing what worked, like modifying their code. Uh, a lot of times, as I said, that code is usually freely available or uh, or at least uh, other code that's very similar that they can modify and um, sometimes use as a proof of concept, sometimes used for learning purposes. But at the same time, attackers are like, hmm, what can I do with this and actually make this like work better for me? Yeah, definitely. And if we look at, uh, you know, if we look at botnet, so TrickBot was, was one of those that was taken offline. Uh, Motet was another, which was, uh, uh, you know, uh, multilateral, a collaborative takedown attempt. There's a lot of good things happening there. Um, but there are, you know, at, at the end of the day, and it's clearly shown in our threat landscape report, there's so many of these still and so much activity that we're seeing that attack service is big. And botnets, again, at the end of the at, at the end of the day, a botnet is about having command and control and being able to remotely operate, you know, uh, and compromise your own devices and be able to exfiltrate data. That's the name of the game. I mean, that's really the the essence and heart and soul of cybercrime. And so I expect that, you know, we're always going to be able to see a lot of this activity. It's just interesting to see how they're adapting to new technologies like this. Yeah, I think you're articulating that really well. I think the difference between what I would define a botnet today versus even a couple of years ago is the botnet today is the foundation for attackers to carry out other types of attacks as well. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're right. It is the command and control. A lot of times, it is uh, you know as soon as a botnet connections are established, uh, you know, they have shell access to a system, uh, they have access to upload more code or run other types of commands or even try and like start disabling like things like Windows Defender or UAC or, you know, other types of security mitigation tools that might be on the system as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, apart from the offense from cyber criminals, the other thing that's interesting now, and this is this is brand new in the first half 2021 report, is we're able to actually start to show dynamic data of what I'm calling uh, high, high resolution threat intelligence. So looking at MITRE attack TTP data, so techniques, tactics, procedures, not just things like, like, like we highlight the botnet and, you know, virus activity and exploit activity, all these things that we've called out, but uh, zooming in with the microscope onto this, right? Look Looking at how, you know, what's the preferred method that attackers are doing to actually do, uh, you know, lateral movement on systems to try to actually, uh, you know, execute code, um, do privilege escalation and things like that. And it's quite interesting, right? This is a new, a, a new capability that we have highlighted and showcased in the report. And it's not just the static mappings that we've seen out there, uh, you know, on, on different threat intelligence research um, sites in, in the past. These are real-time dynamic data that we're able to see. And some of the things we called out is uh, there's, and again, not surprisingly, but it's very tactically interesting to look at what the attackers are doing. Um, you know, there, there's a big focus on defense evasion, right? There's a big focus on um, doing, as an example, techniques like uh, tactics and techniques like a privilege escalation as well, too. So it's pretty interesting to see those. And there's a lot of different tools they have to be able to do this. 
Yeah, no, Derek, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I, I would encourage all the readers that are, that are reading the thread report, the Fortinet thread report, to look at that section because me as a researcher, I find it really interesting to not only look at the techniques that attackers are using, but what the likelihood of those techniques are in, in, a, in a real-time threat. So, I mean, I know they're using a number of techniques, but what is the likelihood of this technique that they're using? So I know this is where I need to concentrate my efforts. As a defender, this is where I probably need to stop an attacker from, uh, from uh, infiltrating my organization organization or uh, you know as a researcher this is what I need to really look out for and see if I can find these type of signatures or these type of attacks and to me that's pretty interesting yeah and, and this is uh, this is ongoing work uh, you know that we're also doing in the industry so we're working with uh, the MITRE Center for Tech and Foreign Defense MITRE Ingenuity with the Sightings Ecosystem Project as an example but at FortiGuard Labs we've been able to implement this and actually show, show this data in the threat landscape report and it's it's useful because it helps to prioritize response. It helps to put a spotlight onto the ones, as you just said, what are the ones that I should uh, actually be looking at first? Um, you know, if you look at MITRE ATT&CK and TTPs, there's well over 200 of these, right? Um, and if we start to look at different verticals, different regions and all the different techniques that attackers are using, it really helps to be able to look at the ones that we're seeing the, the heavy activity on first, because then you can start to, uh, to actually understand the, the, what I call the digital DNA again, it's like this microscope on, on the cyber criminals themselves. And it's interesting to start seeing that, that, that data. It is. And one of the things is when you see when you see a certain technique being used over and over again, even when there's multiple techniques available in, in a single attack stream, uh, it makes you think, like, why is an attacker actually going for that technique over and over again? Is it because it's more impactful or is it because no one's noticing and it's just like that easy and that successful for them to go after that over and over again? And that is kind of scary, but that's also, you know, kind of food for thought for organizations, especially when coming up yeah. with a defensive strategy. Yeah, exactly. Food for uh, food for thought. It's a reality as well, too. Being able to look at um, it's it's really that you know we talk about the low hanging fruit a lot of the times, and I think it just reaffirms that right when we start looking at it because we do actually see that pattern repeating. Because again, if an attack is successful, um, they often won't need to change their their tactics um, until <laughs> the attack becomes unsuccessful. In other words, you know, uh, organizations start to understand that and have the proper safeguards and security controls in place. I agree. Let's give them some high hanging fruit. Let's let like the yeah. attacker get a ladder or something. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's the name of the game, right? That's that's why we're doing this. Obviously, is to expose that and to try to make it harder for the attackers. It's all about making it more expensive for cyber criminals to operate, like we talk about. But it's really key to be able to look at this in in this high resolution uh, under the microscope and and really to show uh, dynamic data with that. So really exciting stuff. Uh, you can check that out on the the latest version of the Threat Landscape Report. There's some data on that figures along with everything else that we talked about and for further updates on this and anything that we're doing from the labs in terms of threat research you can go to blog.fortinet.com under threat research you can find all the details from the report there as well too amar thanks for joining me again it's always great talking to you this is derek mankey with 40 guard live thank you